On this edition of the Iowa Business Report, you either have to cut back on the expenses or find a way to increase the income, and this is a good way to do it. There has been an increase in the number of us seeking side hustles. We'll discuss why. A cooling in the rural Main Street Index numbers, still positive, but perhaps a little less so. And in our business profile, you'll meet a native Iowan who founded a successful business at a young age and now helps invest in similar companies. This is the Iowa Business Report for the third weekend of May 2022. The Iowa Business Report is a copyrighted production of Totally Iowa Media, which is solely responsible for its content. For more, click on the radio programs button at totallyiowa.com. Here is Jeff Stein. At some point, our hobbies or side businesses earned the nickname Side Hustles, and more of us have them now than ever. This is at a time when businesses are seeking employees at all levels and are willing to adjust schedules as needed. Bill Dendy is a CPA and financial advisor who has studied the side hustle phenomenon. Well, it's kind of interesting that we have a combination of a tight job market combined with employers being more comfortable utilizing technology that's created this great opportunity for people to pick up side jobs. Employers are happy to have you work two to four hours or whenever you can work. And they have the tools now to do the oversight that may be required. And they just don't have a choice because the job market, they can't find the people to fill the jobs. So they're willing to do a little more than what they may have done in the past. And that's created an opportunity for those who are looking to pick up a few extra dollars to work when they can, a couple hours in the evening, one weekend a month, whatever they have availability for, many of these companies and many of these types of side jobs will allow them to fill that time and make a few dollars during that time period. Obviously, if I'm an employer and I have a full-time opening, I'd rather fill that for a variety of reasons. That way you've got more stability, you're only investing training dollars in one person, but I'll take anybody I can get these days, right? So maybe that full-time job is parceled out with three different people, and that works pretty well for those families that are looking for a little extra cash these days. Absolutely, and keep in mind that if you parcel that job out amongst multiple people, you don't have anybody working full-time. So if you only get benefits to those who work full-time, you save the cost of the benefits, which may offset the cost of the additional training. A lot of companies and a lot of people are doing the math on it, saying, well, this might be okay. And some things that used to not be allowed, such as technology firms requiring you to only work for them because they were afraid that you might share information, are now saying, well, we'll take you, but you got to promise you're not going to share the information. And they have ways to oversee that that they probably didn't have 15 years ago. So that's created a great opportunity. And I think the people who are happiest are those who are taking something they already have a passion for and turning that into a money-making opportunity. I've had friends that uh, have done everything from woodworking. I had a friend that was a police officer who uh, liked to do woodworking, and he started with inlaid chopping blocks. And then he started these fancy uh, charcuterie boards, and now he's doing tables and chairs. And everything he makes, he's already got a line of people wanting to buy it because he's a true artisan. And he does it because he likes doing it. But at first, he was just trying to get his wood paid for and buy a new tool every so often. Today, he's making a profit doing it, and he's realizing that this is good, sustainable income and 
a good way to expand his hobby. I had another friend that likes professional sports, and when the cost of living got higher, so he might have to give up his uh, professional sports tickets. And he's like, well, well, I'll just work here. So he became an aisle host. So now he's watching professional basketball and professional hockey, and he's being paid hourly rate, holding a little sign, having an unobstructed view of center court. I mean, how good was that for him? It was perfect. So there are a number of things that people are discovering that they enjoy doing that they can get paid to do. When we started this conversation, I was suggesting side businesses that people would start on their own. But this concept of working for someone else on a part-time basis is really fascinating. It appears to be increasing. And again, it really replaces for some people a hobby. So for example, let's say that I worked in a factory uh, eight hours a day. I might have a hobby on the side that is completely different from what I did in the workplace. Well, maybe that hobby now is this second part-time job uh, watching pro sports for free. Absolutely. And my brother loves photography, and he would spend every dime he would make getting a new lens or a fancier camera. And when his boy started playing football, he was on the sidelines taking pictures, and now he has turned that business into a sports photo business where he's doing sports photography, senior pictures, weddings, and other events. And he's got 30 photographers working for him. And that's his part-time job. That's just for fun. And it took over. And he's like, you got to be careful, though, because the things that used to be fun can stop being fun when you have to do them every single day, which is what a friend of mine who started guide fishing discovered when he got a boat, had it decked out, and had people paying for him to take him out and show him where the fish were. It was fun for the first year and a half or so. But after that, he said it was just turning what he loved into drudgery because uh, he was their servant, and it just didn't meet the need as much as he thought it was. So you got to be a little bit careful, but oftentimes it's a great way to test the waters and make that extra money. You know, when I was much younger, I dabbled in photography, and people uh, at times would say, well, you're really good at this. You should do it you know, for a career. And that was exactly what I said. I enjoy doing it. I want to do it for fun. I don't want it to be my job. That really is something that you have to worry about, that you dread what was once a passion. And that's kind of nice when you make it the side hustle, where you can cut back when you want to cut back, put the throttle down when you need the income or have the opportunities, and be paid for doing what you want to do. And if you're not entrepreneurial and you don't want to create your photography business or make your woodworking, you know, there are... So many employers hiring, and I've seen people that were from everything from engineers to financial advisors finding work at the colleges doing teaching in the evenings. And it's not great pay, but it sure is fulfilling to pass knowledge along. And I find some people discover what they might have have done their entire career after they retire, and they pick up a little extra side job to make ends meet. And they have a passion for it. And so that is the joy of where we are today for employees. They have so many more opportunities than we've ever had in the past to take what talents we do have and make a little extra money along the way. Unfortunately, there are a lot of families that have to make that extra money because we've seen such increase in the cost of things. Over the last two years, the average household has seen a 10% or higher increase in the cost of getting by, which means if you were spending 50000 a year, you have to come up with an extra $5,000 to go nowhere. If you're spending 100000 a year, it's $10,000 to go nowhere. And if you didn't get raises in your main job to make up that difference, you either have to cut back on the expenses or 
find a way to increase the income, and this is a good way to do it. Final question in our last minute or so. How many of these side businesses, I always think of people in their basements or their garages, but how many of these side businesses wind up being the primary hustle as opposed to a side hustle? Recently, as I uh, met a person who worked for American Airlines as a reservationist who started making pickles on the side and discovered she had a passion for pickles and she makes pickles with an attitude and sells from coast to coast now and that's become her full-time job. So it can be almost anything you can dream of, but those side hustles can make money. Also, I would say be cautious when you go online looking for part-time work because there are a lot of uh, phishing schemes that are out there that will take your personal information as if they're hiring you on as an employee only to get all your personal information plus money out of your bank account. So it is very possible to find a side hustle today. Mr. Dendy, appreciate the time as always. Good to talk to you again. Have a good day, sir. God bless you. Thank you. Bill Dendy, accountant and financial advisor. We spoke on Wednesday, May 11. Still to come, some caution about the summer economy. And we'll profile an investment company targeting businesses seeking to reach their full potential. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. The Iowa Secretary of State wants you to be a voter in the June 7th primary election. Here are some important dates to remember. If you want to vote by mail, your request must be received by Monday, May 23rd, and your ballot returned to your county auditor by June 7th. Starting May 18th, you can vote in person at your county auditor's office, and polls will be open from 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. on Election Day, June 7th. Don't forget your voter ID. For more information, visit voterready.iowa.gov. Where can expanding businesses find certified shovel-ready sites, the lowest water and sewer rates in Iowa, and excellent incentives for new construction? Why in Waterloo, of course. Eight industrial and business parks, including the new Air and Rail Park, make Waterloo the smart choice for growing companies. With advanced additive manufacturing and smart automation programs on the TechWork campus, Waterloo is building a skilled workforce ready for hire. I'm Mayor Quentin Hart, inviting you to Waterloo. Come for a visit, stay for the great quality of life. Look us up at cityofwaterlooiowa.com. The Iowa Business Report is presented by Advance Iowa, sponsors of a two-day workshop featuring business financial solutions that work, to be held on May 24th and 25th. More in the upcoming events section of advanceiowa.com. The monthly Creighton University Rural Main Street Index released this past Thursday fell from April's healthy reading, but still remained above growth neutral for the 18th straight month. The index is a survey of bank CEOs in rural areas of a 10-state region, including Iowa. These are states that are dependent on agriculture and or energy. The region's overall reading for May declined to 57.7, its lowest level since February 2021, and down from April's 62.0. However, it is still in the growth-positive range, a reading of 50.0 on the scale represents growth-neutral. Creighton University economist Dr. Ernie Goss oversees the survey. He says that much like the nation as a whole, the growth in the rural Main Street economy is slowing. Supply chain disruptions from transportation bottlenecks and labor shortages continue to limit business growth. 
Dr. Goss says farmers and bankers are bracing for escalating interest rates both in the long term and the short term. But a slightly different story here in Iowa. The May index for Iowa actually rose to 56.7 from 53.4 in April, still slightly below the overall 10-state average. Dr. Goss notes that in 2021, the Iowa export of farm commodities to Mexico represented 61.5% of all farm commodity exports. The depreciation of the dollar to the peso was very supportive of these exports last year. Coming up, investing in businesses that seem familiar. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. I'm Michael Swanger, owner of Iowa History Journal. Pick up our May-June issue to read in-depth stories about Chief Keokuk, MLB scout Cy Slapnica, the second part of our radio series, Making Waves, an interview with legendary actor Barry Corbin of Urban Cowboy and Yellowstone, and learn about the proposed renovations of the Herbert Hoover Presidential Library and Museum, among other stories. Get your copy at Hy-Vee, Fairway, Barnes & Noble, Target, Walgreens, and iowahistoryjournal.com. The Iowa Secretary of State wants you to be a voter in the June 7th primary election. Here are some important dates to remember. If you want to vote by mail, your request must be received by Monday, May 23rd, and your ballot returned to your county auditor by June 7th. Starting May 18th, you can vote in person at your county auditor's office, and polls will be open from 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. on Election Day, June 7th. Don't forget your voter ID. For more information, visit VoterReady.Iowa.gov. Support for the Iowa Business Report comes from the Iowa Business Council, a nonpartisan nonprofit organization working to elevate Iowa's economy through leadership, research, and advocacy. Learn more and review the current competitive dashboard data by going to iowabusinesscouncil.org. In our business profile, we'll introduce you to Nate Parati. He's a Dubuque native who is currently a principal at the New Stack Ventures Fund. He described for me his interesting path, a 10-year journey that started while he was in college. I was in engineering school at Iowa. Growing up, I'd always been very active when it came to athletics, playing football, other sports as well, and always plagued by the, the same problem, like you need someone to play the game with you like you need someone to throw you a football etc so fast forward to engineering school in iowa a lot of my friends on the team at the time were feeling the same pain you know i need a quarterback to throw me the ball after practice i'm only getting a few reps in and combining what i had been learning with engineering school with what i was hearing from my friends and my own personal experience I launched a robotics company with a couple great co-founders my junior year of undergrad. And our goal was to pair wearable technology with sports robotics to create an autonomous training solution. And then you're also able to gather a lot of data on these training sessions for athletics. That's what we set out to build. And that was back in 2016. Fast forward four years and no longer with the business, but that was a journey behind Monarch. I thought I was doing things when I was a student at the University of Iowa. It's <laughs> junior year, and you're founding a high-tech company that's tied to robotics, engineering, etc. What was it that said, yes, I can do it? Because I have a feeling if you talk to people, there were plenty who said, this is way out of your league. 
I would uh, chalk it up to being a naive 21-year-old more than anything, I think. I think being uh, the old age of 28 today, I don't know with uh, the same knowledge, wisdom that I've acquired if I would still pursue it. But when you're 21, you're, you know, you're naive, you think you can do just about anything and you don't really realize how challenging starting a business is and then also starting a hardware business. So I chalk it up to uh, the youth. (laughs) You're old enough now to know better, but it's a good thing you weren't at the time. So how did you transition from Monarch, nearly four years with that company that you've helped found, to what you're doing now? I got to a point in the business where I'd been exposed to the broader tech ecosystem, what was going on on the coast. And I learned about this thing called venture capital, which I thought was really interesting because it was investors that were seeking out people like myself at the time. And they believed in these founders and they would invest in their business and help guide them along their journey to build a big business. And that always really, it fascinated me. I would look at other startup concepts and I was taking these mental repetitions, asking, why are these investors putting money behind this founder, this concept? And that stuck with me while I was building Monarch. And I got to a point where I was able to exit the business, take some off the table. And I was left wondering, what am I going to go do next? Do I want to go build something else, perhaps more grandiose? Or do I want to join the other side of the table and uh, join this community called Venture that I had learned so much about from being a founder. I knew I wanted to stay in the Midwest. I was passionate about what was going on in the Midwest when it came to tech. So I was in Chicago at the time, and I came across a small firm called New Stack Ventures. And taking a look at the thesis or the founders that we invest in, we invest in outsiders. You know, We invest in founders that are perhaps first-time founders, They didn't go to a Harvard or an Ivy League school. They didn't work at a Google or a Facebook, but they're very knowledgeable about their space. They're building their business on the right fundamentals, and they're incredibly tenacious in their pursuit of their vision. And that very much resonated with me from my time at Monarch. You know, I would always get the questions, did you go to MIT? Did you go to Stanford? And when I said, no, I went to Iowa, I was almost looked down upon in a way. So you very much felt like an outcast. And I, in a way, had this imposter syndrome. So the opportunity to join a venture firm and back founders that resembled you know, myself and my entrepreneurial journey, was a, it was a special opportunity. And it was one I couldn't pass up. And that's how I ended up where I'm at today, New Stack Ventures. What is there about the Midwest that may distinguish the people who come from here, as you do, as I do, as many of the listeners to the radio program here do? What is it about this mindset, this upbringing, that might distinguish people from here, as opposed to, say, either large cities or the coasts? Mm-hmm. It's a good question. I am answering with a bit of bias here, having been a fellow Iowan. You know, from Eastern Iowa. We're all about to, bias on this program, yeah. as long as it's it's uh, pro Iowa. So that's fine. Yeah. Well, let me let me add some fuel to the fire then. Sure. Um, well, I I think in business you need to be great with people, and you need to be super driven and tenacious, right? I think those are among other characteristics. But I'll, I'll hone in on those two. And there's a reason why there's the stereotype um, in the Midwest about Midwesterners being great people because they truly are right? Like, I think it's, it's, uh, 
it's no surprise when you hear people that move away from the Midwest to go to the coast, they come back and they're like, oh yeah, like the East Coast was interesting, but the, you can't beat the people in the Midwest. So my point is, is I find that Midwesterners are very good at connecting with one another, right? Like they're very good at recruiting talent. They're very good at finding customers, persuading people to join their cause. And that EQ component is so critical to being successful in business. And I think it's fundamental or it's uh, more inherent to many of the Midwesterners that we come across. Um, the second is when we're talking about tenacity and um, building something and having, having the drive to go build something there's similar to myself, like you have a chip on your shoulder, right? Like you're a Midwesterner you, and it, everyone knows being in the Midwest, you're looked down upon a lot of people joke about how you could just circle the Midwest and just remove it. Like it's a black hole in the middle of the country uh, from the Midwestern founders that I've seen that are incredibly passionate about what they're building. They know that they have that chip on their shoulder. They have something to prove. It's not just about the money. It's about very much solving a problem and uh, proving that it can be done here in the Midwest. So it's a, it's an, abnormal type of drive that you see in the Midwest. Best thing for you at this point in your career, doing what you do, what's most gratifying right now? Working with amazing founders. It's uh, it's a job that gets me excited every morning when I get out of bed, you know, to go work with people that are incredibly passionate about what they're building. It's infectious, right? It's just being around it. It, uh, it makes you better, you know? So working with amazing people is the best part of the job, no doubt about it. Nate Parati, native Iowan and a principal at the New Stack Ventures Fund, online at newstack.com. We connected via Zoom on Tuesday, May 17. And that brings us to the close of this week's program. We're back again next week at this same time. The Iowa Business Report is presented by Advance Iowa, leading successful business, innovation, growth, and transitions. Search for Advance Iowa on LinkedIn and Facebook and get more at AdvanceIowa.com. I'm Jeff Stein. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you have a prosperous week. The Iowa Business Report is a copyrighted production of Totally Iowa Media, which is solely responsible for its content. For more, click on the radio programs button at totallyiowa.com.